Greetings, Australia. Welcome to the new Stand Up Australia podcast. Stand Up sits down with a contrarian conversation, rebutting the mainstream narrative. Each week, we discuss and deconstruct the most relevant news stories in Australia and around the world that you may have missed during the past week and separate the BS and propaganda so you can make better decisions about which way you want to go politically and personally. So today on the show, the WHO no longer recommends vaccination for children, AstraZeneca vaccines discontinued in Australia, and the new Australian newspaper finally admits that all COVID vaccines are neither safe nor effective. Dan Andrews slams the Liberal Party as bigoted after losing the first by-election in 100 years. Lord McGowan reintroduces COVID-style police checkpoints under the guise of cracking down on illegal drugs and bikies. Major Australian bank stops handling cash at certain branches. And last of the day is RFK Jr. throws his hat into the ring for the Democrats. Trump indicted in Manhattan while the QAnon shaman is released 14 months early. So today, once again, we are joined by our co-host Robin Shooter from Empowered Health, which you can find at robinshooter.substack.com. How are you going, Robin? Been a couple of I'm weeks. I'm well, I'm well. Uh, it has been a couple of weeks and the, it, it's been a slow news week, hasn't it? I, nothing's yeah. happened. <laughs> it only took me about three hours to go through my stories this time. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so boring. Nothing's happening in the world. Ho-hum. Oh, it's, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just crazy. And we, we missed last week. Um, so there's Easter and there's just been a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of distractions, which I've had to sort of just cut off because I don't feel like discussing distractions. Um, but we've come Indeed. up some, with some good stories here, and I have left a couple out, but we'll probably end up discussing them because they do tie in quite nicely this week. So We're in the realm of the poly crisis, as, as Herr Schwab likes to put it, where <sighs> I mean, my, my sense of it is that people are being, you know, let, let's go all conspiratorial, people are being just continuously bombarded with one crazy news item or, or or you know one thing to freak out about and and lose your marbles over after another and there's no chance for for the average person to sort of regain equilibrium in between they're just you know it, it's, it's like that bowling ball just keeps coming down the alley and knocking down the pins it does and we just forget what the important stuff is because mm. the, the 24-hour news cycle we're just you know it just one day it's one thing next day it's something else and then by the third day you've forgotten all about it so <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So the first story I've got here is uh, who now says COVID vaccine is not recommended for health kids and teens. So yet another leading health institution has unveiled a significant COVID policy reversal this week. This time it's none other than the World Health Organization saying something that might have gotten an individual suspended from social media or publicly cancelled a mere one or two years ago. All right, so the revision in guidelines was put out this week by WHO's Strategic Advisory Group of Experts on Immunisation, SAGE. We probably all have heard that before. Um, a group of scientists and officials which said they no longer recommend the COVID vaccine for healthy children aged six months, 17 years. Now, they are obviously going, um, catching up to what everybody else has been saying, that not only do they not need these, but they're not helpful at all. Um, and mm. I, I doubt they're helpful for anybody at all to be honest um but their excuse here is that they want to want children to focus on the whole schedule now and not just get tied up on the on the covid vaccines and that's why they are not recommending them anymore but the countries are free to do what they choose but they're not recommending them 
Yes, yes. So isn't this interesting? They they want they want to focus on the existing childhood schedule. Uh, reading between the lines, they have noticed that a hell of a lot of parents who ask themselves, why on earth are these COVID jabs being recommended for use in children who have a statistically zero chance of suffering from COVID, right? Suffering as in anything worse than than a than a cold. Um that's that's assuming that there is, even is a separate condition known as COVID and and ah, I mean, we might get to that because I've I've had some interesting um um modifications to my own view of this. Anyway, so back to the subject. So so kids were never at risk of a of a severe outcome from COVID. There was never any justification whatsoever. But of course, parents noticing that their kids were being, you know, heavily pushed, coerced, bribed, you know, or or threatened with exclusion from school, sports, dance groups, you know, surf club participation, whatever the hell, are, are now sort of scratching their heads and going, oh, gee, I wonder if the rest of the childhood schedule might be a bit sus. So, of course, the who is going, help, help, help. No, we need to get the the, 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 the parents, you know, back to vaccinating their kids with all the other stuff. So now the who's backing off from pushing the COVID jabs. And we've got this really interesting situation where in the US they've added, as you know, they've added the COVID jabs to the CDC recommended childhood schedule. Mm. And you had California attempting to um, to mandate COVID jabs for entry to school, which which they, you know, got knocked back on. Um, but other states are going to have a crack at this too. So it's it's Looney Tunes. It's absolutely Looney Tunes time. Yeah, it, it really takes me back to like well, two weeks ago when we spoke about your article that you wrote about the the you know health organ world health world health organization. Um, you know, saying that uh, there was a crisis in vaccines. Yeah, so, the crisis in vaccine yeah. confidence, and we must all be vaccine confident. We, they I mean they must be, and I think they obviously see the writing on the wall because in the same week that this has come out, we've also had uh, AstraZeneca vaccine discontinued in Australia. So very quietly, it's very quietly, no public there. announcement. <laughs> yeah, after two years, and that is from um, they say a very rare side effect of blood clots. Which, so very rare. Yeah, do we I mean, do we mention how rare it was? It's very <laughs> rare. There's a, there's an there's an argument to be made that the AstraZeneca is probably one of the more safe ones on the market. Um, if you think that it's just the blood clots, I mean they're all they all cause even the Novavax has been known to cause blood clots. Um, oh yeah, the mRNA shots are worse than blood. Yeah, clots. they're, they're the worst ones. Um, but and that's that's also um, another thing that's happened this week is the Australian newspaper admits vaccines are neither safe nor effective. Now, I'm not going to read the article, but uh, I'll have this in the show notes. Um, and there's a whole article there about how they're just saying that basically we were hoodwinked. Um, mm. It's It looks like something you'd read on Telegram two years ago, basically, this mm. article. Mm. Mm. Yes, I, I would note, I would note that that particular, um, sorry, I'm just trying to find the, was that the article that was written Adam Crichton, yes, yes, yes. Um, that that's right. So Adam Adam Crichton, I must say, now look, he doesn't do a 
a he doesn't go as far enough in this article as I would have liked to have seen. But let's give Adam Crichton credit where where credit was due, where credit is due. Back in 2020, Adam Crichton was one of the very few Australian journalists saying this lockdown stuff is madness. We we are by 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 destroying this country's economy, we are ruining people's lives. We're ruining the lives of children. We're ruining small business. Uh, the the economic costs of this are going to be paid by. Uh, going to be paid by Australians for generations to come. And he was utterly slammed, you know, nine ways to Sunday, on social media, in the comments section of, of, of the, the news publications by, by you know, fellow news so-called journalists. So, you know, um, I, I again, I will give credit where, where credit is due. Adam Crichton was one of the very few Australians who was um, protesting against the insane lockdown measures from, from the start. And so I'm not terribly surprised that he is one of the first Australian journos to actually have the cojones to stand up and say, no, these things are dangerous. Again, I wish he'd gone further in that article, but it's a start. It's a start. Yeah, and I think um, I do respect a journalist's position in the mainstream media as well. Not that I, I don't respect it in that in the way that you may think, but... I respect that they have to they have to walk a tightrope between keeping mm. their job, feeding their families, and also telling the truth. And yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if if um, Crichton was told, look, um, these are the these are the sort of you know shibboleths that you have to write into your article, otherwise you won't publish it. I mean, I'm not privy to what went on behind the scenes with his editor, but it would not surprise me if that turns out to be the case. Yeah, uh, the, the, the only thing I have a problem with, it's in the Australian, which is a Murdoch newspaper. We know that mm. Murdoch has ties to the pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical industry. I think uh, his son is still on the board of Merck. Is that correct? Um, um, I, I'm not sure that, that he is, but Murdoch some years ago entered into a very interesting partnership with with one um, Billy Bob Gates, uh, which was called the, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly, it was called the New York Project or something like that. And it was all about trying, it was all about working on instituting a uh, an adult vaccination schedule. Now, I cannot for love or money find any reference to that on the web. The web has been cleansed of this partnership that Murdoch formed with, with with Gates. So I've looked for this. I can't find it, but I do distinctly remember it. So, yeah, Murdoch is up to his neck in pro-vaccine stuff. But I, I think he, you know, he plays both sides. So yeah. you'll see his, his sort of his daily rags putting out one message and then the Australian and Sky News will put out other messages Um yeah, I, he's not trustworthy. That's for sure. No, no. The, the only reason I brought that up was the the connection with Merck. Uh, if they do do still have a connection, I don't know if they still do. I'm pretty sure they do. But you'll you'll remember Merck had the the rival drug, the Paxlovid, which interestingly enough, we have another story about that in a sec. Um, which ended up getting canned and rubbished. So Paxlovid's from Pfizer, who also has mRNA vaccines. Um, so maybe it's a little hit job on Pfizer, possibly. But then again, I have to see if that article has gone global, which I doubt it has. Mm, mm, yeah, I doubt it too. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, and and of course, I mean, going way back, it was a a Murdoch rag, um, in in the UK that hired 
Brian Deer to do yeah. a hit job on Andrew Wakefield back in the, you know, MMR Lancet article days. So there's a long history that Murdoch has of, of going after people who uh, raise any questions about the safety of vaccines. So again, I, I don't, I don't trust Murdoch at all. But it's, you know, we, we can at least be pleased that there's been some mention of vaccine harms um, in a Murdoch publication or something. Definitely, definitely. We'll, we'll take what we can at this point in time in the mainstream mm, media. Pretty uh, much. <laughs> and furthering on about the Paxlovid uh, issue is, and, and once again, The Australian has uh, printed this article and I think I've got the wrong article here. But... Anyway, Mark Butler on Thursday announced more than 160,000 people aged 60 to 69 would from next month be given access to the antiviral treatment Paxlovid under the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme, which would normally cost up to $1,000 per script. So this is going to cost the taxpayer um, $160 million, and it just further goes to show they've got absolutely no faith in the vaccine rollout at all if they then have to give people drugs to take away the symptoms, which is what mm. the vaccine was supposed to do in the first place. And not not only that, but Paxlovid is is an extraordinarily ineffective drug, which you know has even had a, a syndrome named after it, which is the you know the the Paxlovid re- rebound syndrome, yeah. where people's uh, symptoms, uh, you know, COVID or COVID ish symptoms, are relieved after a couple of days on Paxlovid. They finish their five days course and then their symptoms come back and of course Paxlovid has this absolutely extraordinary number of contraindications in terms of other drugs that people particularly in that age group um, are likely to be taking whether it's blood pressure drugs cholesterol lowering drugs um, anticoagulants that, that you simply cannot take while you're on Paxlovid so what 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 is he smoking seriously you, this drug is is incredibly dangerous from the point of view of its of its drug drug interactions. Uh, just yeah, and, and and meanwhile, of course, still no recommendations for for people to get their vitamin D levels checked. Still no recommendation. They they you still can't get ivermectin for love or money or hydroxychloroquine or any of the other you know off label safe medications with a long history of, of use and a known side effect profile that that have you know either no interactions with other drugs or very minimal interactions with other drugs yeah yeah i did see an article in the in the paper in the last week which i haven't included here but if i can find it i will about um the debunking once again about ivermectin being able to to fix covid symptoms um, you know, one more study out of about 78, 79 now, where I think it's something like 75% of them show a very statistically significant uh, increase in helping people with the symptoms of COVID-19, whether you believe uh, that that is a problem or not, that's um, up to you to decide. But um, yeah, <laughs> another hit piece on that, basically. Yes. Um, in, indeed, and and all of these studies are uh, marred by multiple design flaws, including starting treatment too late, using too low of a dose, um, using it alone without other like this, uh, and, and also uh, insufficient uh, blinding or or no attention paid paid to, uh, uh, paid to uh, correct processes of randomization and blinding. Um, there have been some really great analyses of the shenanigans uh, in both hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin studies. Some of them are on C19, uh, c19early.com, I think. 
And then um, Matthew Crawford's done some great analyses of the shenanigans in the hydroxychloroquine studies. And um, who's done the best analyses of ivermectin? Pierre Corey, actually. Pierre Corey's done some great analyses of, of, of the skullduggery that went on with the ivermectin trials. Yeah, yeah, you can read all about that. I think at ivmeta.com. Um, yes, yes, that's it. That's it. So, one of the most interesting little snippets about ivermectin, just by the by, uh, comes from Sabine Hazan, who is a gastroenterologist in the US. And look, long story short, ivermectin, which many people might know, was actually derived from a bacteria. Um, found on a Japanese golf course because, yeah. like, I play golf when you could spot bacteria well, and a- salt Yes, yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, and and um, it actually very powerfully promotes the growth of bifidobacteria, which is a strain of of um, probiotic bacteria in the human gut. So, so it may well be that ivermectin works as a general um, immune system. Um, I won't say boost because people get the wrong idea about that, but that it it essentially assists the fine tuning of the human immune system. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yes. It's one of those, what do they call them, zinc, um, I, what is it called, ionophore? Oh, it is a zinc ionophore, yes, yeah. it is It is that, although I don't think it's quite as powerful at, at that as, as um, hydroxychloroquine, but yes, that's one of its, I think Pierre Corey's totted up about 17, 18-odd mechanisms of action for ivermectin. Um, and so so even if you don't think that COVID is a thing, um, you're looking at at a, a, a substance uh, that is derived from from nature um, that that uh, has some pretty broad spectrum immune assisting activity. Let's just say, yeah, yeah, like whatever you like, whatever the the actual um, process is in the body. I mean, mm. it, it doesn't really matter in the end as long as it makes you better, doesn't it? As as long as it helps your own body to um, to to brush off whatever it is that 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 you know, COVID is. Yeah. Well, Australians will be um, pleased to know anyway that the federal government is now setting up our version of the CDC because they've done such Can't a wait. great job in China and the US. So a total of $3.2 million in the October 22-23 budget is put forward for preparations to establish the Australian CDC. So they will be working with state and territory governments, health and aged care stakeholders, academics and research sector, and international counterparts. I wonder if the international counterpart will be the WHO and part of their pandemic treaty preparedness. Do you think? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the goals here, I mean, the first goal here is ensure ongoing pandemic preparedness. So, Mm. I mean, that's straight from the book, isn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. And so let let me just take the opportunity to throw in very quickly here, because this is a reference I'd love people to follow up. Um, And that is the the biologist, uh, Jonathan J. Cooey, J.J. Cooey. He has a great channel on Twitch, um, which is, as I understand it, a gamer's platform. But anyway, (laughs) they do video and all sorts of things. Um, Look, so to 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 distill this story down to its essence, um, it is Cooey's contention, and after watching quite a number of his really detailed presentations, I um I think he is quite likely to be one hundred percent correct in this that um there really aren't any viruses of pandemic potential, and certainly uh, no coronavirus has the capacity to be to 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 become a virus of pandemic potential, even if gain-of-function researchers like Ralph Barrick are monkeying around with it. 
Okay. And this, this yeah. has to do with the lack of fidelity of, of basically, um, um, you might say accuracy in copying of an mRNA, uh, sorry, of an RNA virus. Okay. Yeah. So again, I, well, let, let's not drag this off track, but, but this whole notion that we're at constant risk of, of viral pandemics is almost certainly bunkum. Um, in, in terms of there being potential for spillover viruses, no. I mean, how would something spill over from the wild into perfect adaptation to infecting a human host? How would that even happen? No one's presented any evidence that, that it could. And in terms of the, the um, gain-of-function research, it actually doesn't have the capacity to, to produce viruses that can replicate in the human population with high fidelity. Yeah, and the whole, you know, if you when you're talking about whether it's got potential for pandemic, um, it depends on the definition of pandemic, doesn't it? Yeah, well, we all, it's, handy, it's handy if you can redefine that. You yeah, know, well, funnily enough, which was sure. redefined only a couple of years before, wasn't it? So, oh, funny um, that. <laughs> so yeah, look, I, I agree with you there. Like, I think we're on the same page here. When I mean, I'm not sh- sure. I've brought this book up before. Um, dissolving illusions, uh, where she has, you know, Suzanne Humphreys has really gone into detail about how viral, viral sort of pandemics and stuff are really only an issue when the the population is at a, you know, Im- immune, um, I, I suppose, um, compromised, compromised state. Yep. And poverty, overcrowding, um, unclean water. Uh, uh, leading to constant ga- constant gastrointestinal infections that result yeah. in malnourishment. Um, all the, in other words, the sorts of conditions that that were seen, uh, well, starting from the beginning of the Industrial Revolution and really persisting until the early years of the 20th century, um, at which point what I would call real public health, that is, you know, sanitation, um, sewerage provision and so forth, cleaned up those urban slums. Um, People started having fewer children. There was less overcrowding and voila, you know, these diseases over the course of a couple of decades effectively disappeared as major causes of of, of death and and sickness. I mean, I come like, because I'm in the food industry, I come from it from this sort of point of view. It's well known that salmonella is a problem, but mm. not yep. many people not many not many people realize that salmonella actually exists on most things mm. that you have. Mm. It's in mm. all chicken. It's on a lot of vegetables, and it's only an issue if it starts uh, overgrowing and becoming the yep. dominant the dominant um, strain. So, and that goes with E. coli as well. E. coli it can be quite a beneficial bacteria in your in your gut if, at at low levels. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yep. but but at higher levels, it's really bad and can kill you. So mm. it's the same thing with these things. It is if you if your body does not give the opportunity to something to proliferate and become a problem, then it's not going to be a problem. Mm. So yeah, it's just it's just fear mongering after fear mongering after fear mongering. Yeah, and what's this all about? It's not about public health. Nothing in the past three plus years has been about public health. It's about control. Yes, definitely, definitely. Yep, I think we both agree on that. That's probably the 90% of our, our listeners. So it, it's not the Centre for Disease Control, it's the Centre for Population Control. Yeah. <laughs> they should call it the CDC yes. thing. <laughs> one, la- one last point on the CDC thing too. Um, the CDC is actually a military operation yeah. in, in the United States. So I wonder if that is going to be the same here. 
Oh, yes. What an interesting question. Because, no, you're, you're 100% correct. The, um, the official, you know, personages in the CDC, they have military rank and title. They wear yes. military uniform. They report to the military. So this is not a health agency. Um, it is it is a, a wing, an arm, if you like, of the military industrial complex. It's a wartime. Um, it was set up during the war. Yeah. So yeah, to deal yeah. with biological threats. So um, yes, yes. <laughs> that's why you've got the Surgeon General. <laughs> you a lot, hey. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, be watch this space and be very careful um, mm. with these titles that we're giving people because we could be handing our you know, the and, and here's, control here's, to the military. Here's my question. Here's my question. Who voted for this? Which which political party in our last election had this on their platform? Did the Labor Party go go to the electorate in our last federal election last year saying, oh, by the way, vote for us. We'd like to have an Australian version of the CDC. Was that announced by Albanese or any of his um, you know, potential ministers? I, I didn't hear anyone, anyone on either side of the political no. fence say, oh, we think it'd be a really good idea to have the CDC. So, so they get into, into government and then they just drop these things on the public. No one voted for this. No, one's, no, no one in the population is asking for this. It's just foisted upon us at our expense, mind you, at taxpayers' expense. That's, you know, your and my money paying for this rubbish. Yep, yep, yep. It's a, it's just a you know do as we say sort of mentality now. Yeah. You vote us in to make the rules, and too bad if you don't like it. Yeah, that's it. Yep. That's it. Well, speaking of uh, the Labor Party and the Liberal Party, um, this next article is from SkyNews.com.au. So, and this starts off by saying nasty bigoted outfit. Premier Daniel Andrews comments on the Liberal Party after suffering another defeat in Aston. So this is to do with the Aston by-election, uh, where, oh, look, I'll, I'll just read the start of the article. So Premier Daniel Andrews is unloaded on the current state of the Liberal Party around the nation after Labor cruised to Aston uh, by-election victory. Labor's Mary Doyle emerged victorious in the outer Melbourne federal seat, marking the first time a government has won an opposition-held seat at a by-election since 1920. Mr Andrews, who easily defeated the Liberals in Victoria last November, was scathing of the other major party. The Liberal Party are a nasty, bigoted outfit and people have worked them out. That might be why they keep losing, he told reporters. People want politicians who are not focused on the persecution of trans people. They want politicians who are focused on the cost of living, on skills, training and work. Now, I'm not sure if I've ever heard the Liberals uh, trying to persecute trans people. Um I'd like to know who is who is persecuting trans people. I mean, trans people keep on demanding their rights. Um, which rights are they being deprived of? I, I I'd like to know. Are they they get they get to vote? Um, they get like are they anyway? <laughs> so I just find this insane. What rights do they not have? Yeah, yeah, it's. It- like they want more rights than your average uh, <laughs> average person for some reason. Well, and all I, animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. <laughs> didn't know. Oh well, I um, I'm not saying that life's not hard for trans people because I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's very hard um, when you are transitioning. But yeah. at the same time, this has got nothing to do with trans. This has got to do with a really dysfunctional outfit in the Liberal Party and. Yeah. Daniel Andrews is just an absolute knob. So what he says here is just, you know, further dividing um, 
Australia into this this left right sort of structure. We we all know that it's a more of a uniparty than anything. But... Absolutely. Um, what what I what I would say is that the Liberal Party uh, does not stand for anything anymore. And its traditional base, which saw the Liberal Party as, you know, supporting uh, uh, supporting small government, okay, in favour of small business, in favour of, you know, reigning in government spending, uh, that Liberal Party no longer exists. And so if you're a voter who, who holds those values, you're not going to vote for the Liberal Party because they're essentially, they're, they're Labor without the support of the union movement. I mean, spot the difference between Labor's policies and, and Liberal's policies. Well, I'm there, hard- there, there is none now. This like Liberal, Liberal used to be, you know, known as conservatives. They were the yeah. conservative party. Isn't it? They were physically conservative and they were socially conservative. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so. Dutton's still a little bit like that, but, um, you know, I mean, Dutton's a knob, to be honest. <laughs> Mr. Potato Head, God, don't even go. Now, now, look, I, I must confess, I, I was not following the Aston by-election closely, really, at all. My understanding, though, is that a significant factor in Aston going to the Labor Party uh, was the Chinese vote, and I just happened to be listening to a very interesting article with a fellow by the name of Andrew uh, Phelan, um, who has lived in China, who uh, speaks, you know, fluent um, Mandarin, and who has done business in China. And uh, I believe he's also been educated in China. So certainly he's had a big involvement with the Chinese community um, in, in Australia, as well as living in China. So um, his his insight into this is that when Chinese immigrants um, enter Australia, they they are not reading the local Australian newspapers or watching you know the ABC or Channel Seven. They're still very much plugged into Chinese media sources, and so whereas in whereas historically Chinese people being you know quite entrepreneurial, keen on starting their own businesses and so forth, traditionally they voted Liberal, but now they're getting the word from CCP that um, Liberal that the Liberal Party is anti-Chinese and that the Labor Party is pro-Chinese and they should vote for the Labor Party. So that was Andrew Phelan's take. Again, I mean, I don't, I'm not an expert on what the hell happened in Aston or how big a factor this is. I just found that a very interesting take, especially given the, um, um, the uh, uh, news that, you know, there are CCP police stations in Australia. Mm. That that are set up to essentially police the activities of people from China who now live in Australia, either as permanent residents or, or citizens, and that the same thing is going on in the US. So that's that's a very grave concern. What the hell are we doing with you know police stations uh, from another country, you know within within our territory? This is just completely outrageous. And by the way, what what was Chairman Dan doing in China? You know, on his little little junket there, where no media were were allowed to, you know, go with him, sit in on his meetings. There's no transcripts. There's no recordings of any of this that has been um, made that, that has been made public. And so the Victorian taxpayer foot uh, was footing the bill for his trip, but apparently is not considered entitled to know what what exactly he discussed while he was over in in China. Yeah, it's it's very suspicious. Um, I mean, how anybody can trust this guy with their state is beyond me. 
it's it's i mean you it, it is extraordinary that the people of victoria re-elected him and of course i know people in victoria who say well actually they didn't i i don't i don't know i don't know whether election rigging goes on here my impression has always been that the aec is 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 pretty above board you know we we clearly don't have a ridiculous electoral system like they have in the us with with you know these black box machines that do whatever the hell with your vote um so i still have some you know some degree of confidence in the integrity of the Australian Electoral Commission. But I don't know. I mean, so they either didn't vote for him and he stole the election or they did vote for him, in which case, my God, what is wrong with these people? Yeah. <laughs> sorry, Victorians, but what's wrong with you? Yeah. I wouldn't mind getting Peter on to sort of explain a little bit more about the Aston by-election, um, you know, possibly in the next yeah. couple of weeks. But Ooh, as, yep. as I understand it, um, you know, they were the majority party. They got selected on preference. Uh, and as Peter has said in the past, the the actual votes for these major parties now are at a historic lows. Mm. So the Liberal Party is getting really badly done here, but the Labor Party is really not that much better. So the only the only um the only real plus to come out of this is the fact that we are sort of getting out of a two party system. And we're getting into more of that mold of that oh, those sort of like you know the Nordic yeah. countries you see up there. You've got you've got Sweden, um, you've got uh, Netherlands who just had um, you know one of their minor parties come from behind yep. to take a majority of the of the parliament. Um, and I think we're getting to that point now where we're going to have a bit more you know discourse in parliament, and they're going to have to work with each other rather than just be passing these laws. But yep. the, the whole system, I think, really needs to change because it's bloody confusing. And I think yep. that's the trick rather than being, you know, um, really sort of helped along by corruption. I think it's I think it's more the fact that people just don't understand the system. Mm, mm. And the two the two party preferred um, electoral system in Australia, it just it just has to go. It just has to go. Um, I, I don't I don't know why it was ever brought in in the first place. Clearly, it uh, it favours this this sort of you know two two wings of the same bird of prey. Um, um, you can have Labor or you can have Liberal. It's like you know Tweedledum or Tweedledummer. And yeah, that the day when when that duopoly ends cannot come soon enough for me. Yes. Yep. So there's another um, Labor Party in Western Australia who has started to introduce some pretty horrific measures once again in the theme of COVID checkpoints. Um, I'm going to play a little video here and hopefully it loads. Mark McGowan has signalled a return to tough border laws used during the pandemic. The WA Premier allowing police to stop and search anyone entering the state. Reporter Jack Hahn is following the story live from Perth Airport. Jack, when will the laws come into place? Well, later this year, Melissa, and they'll be in effect until 2028. The laws will give WA police more power than any other state or territory in the country. The Premier, Mark McGowan, wants to replicate pandemic conditions because he claims there was a dramatic decline in meth use while border closures were in effect. So every traveller will be subject to stop and searches in the hope of catching drug smugglers. This will happen in 21 locations, including every land crossing with the Northern Territory and 
South Australia as well as ports and train stations, but high on that list will be here at Perth Airport. Travellers won't be searched the second they step foot off the aircraft, not even in the terminal. In fact, officers will set up checkpoints at, on the roads leaving the airport so that they can subject vehicles to searches tonight. Criminologists are warning laws like this have the potential to be abused. Melissa. Jack, thank you. All right. They only have the potential to be abused, though. I mean, this this is the whole implementation of such laws is, by definition, abuse. I mean, this is completely abusive. The, 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 the basis of liberal democracies is, um, you might say, negative rights. That is, if it's not specifically prohibited, you have the right to do it, right? And and freedom of movement is one of our fundamental rights. And here is this little petty tyrant essentially saying, no, you don't have freedom of movement. You know, you only move around, you move into or around this state at my sole discretion. Now, well, I mean, there's so many, there's so many issues with this. I don't even know where to start. Number one, does Jake's mother know he's out? I mean, was that reporter, is he, does he have a driver's license? He looks about 18 to me. Anyway, maybe I'm just up. I think he needs to blow his nose too by the sounds of it. Might need his mum to drop him off a box of tissues. That might help. Um, yeah. So, so look, how, how does Mark McGowan, how does Mark McGowan know that Matthews dropped? Did he conduct a poll? Did he ring up meth users and ask them if they were using less? Um, did the police have less meth busts? Did the did the hospitals have less meth-related admissions? I'd, I'd like to know how it was established that meth use dropped in WA because there was no indication in that news report of, of exactly how Mark McGowan knew that, that meth use had dropped. Now, if indeed it had, then you know, an investigation needs to be conducted into the reasons why, rather than just assuming, well, Matthews dropped and we had the borders closed, so that must have been it. I mean, this is this is just lunacy. It's it's idiocy. But but I mean, it, it's not idiocy really when you look at it. It is a power grab. It's it's that plain and simple. I um I, I know you share my frustration with this that so many Australians and not just Australians fail to see that from the get-go, every so-called public health measure that was implemented in this country and overseas had nothing to do with health. It was all about power. Now, I, if, if people haven't caught up to that yet, I, I don't know how to help them. I mean, they're lost. <laughs> we yeah. need to move yeah. without them. This is just, it's purely and simply power. That's all that's going on here. Yeah, the fact that the young man on the news just then said that it has the potential to be abused. He misses the point completely because it had the potential to be abused when it was brought in in COVID and now it is being abused. It was normalised during COVID and now it's going to be like, oh, well, they did it during COVID, so it's not that unusual anymore. Bingo. That's it. That's it. So all of that public, you know, so-called public health um, uh, nonsense was essentially to soften people up, to get them used to the idea that government can abridge your rights, that government can essentially say that you don't have any rights, they're cancelled, and we will dole them back out to you, you know, at, at our at our convenience, um, or only if you meet our preconditions. Get lost. <laughs> Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, like, take yourself back five years. Anybody in Australia, take yourself back five years. 
if they had have said this five years ago, you would have gone, no, mm. F off. Yeah. No way. Indeed. That's ridiculous. You've this is be- what? What are you, China? Are we, Are we? Um. you know, like a, a, a some sort of weird state in Russia or it's, yeah. is it, Um. you know, you hear about this stuff happening five years ago, you'd be like, oh, that's yeah. tyrannical. But now it's like. Thank, thank God we don't have that sort of tyranny in our country because we're a free country. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and the fact that so many people fail to see the naked power grab underlying all of this, you know, biosecurity theatre has has essentially green-lighted people like Andrews and like McGowan to just continue doing this, to, to just keep upping the ante until people have to ask permission to leave their homes, China-style, or to go outside their little 15-minute cities. Uh, yeah, and it's all it's all culminating, isn't it? You know, yeah. I'm sure you've heard the the term the totalitarian tiptoe. Mm-hmm. You know, we're tiptoeing our way into that sort of world at the moment. Uh, it's been happening for years. Um, yep. You're crazy to talk about it ten years ago, even though I was, and now it's right in people's faces. And I'm I'm sure that everybody sees it now, but they just want to sort of pretend it's not happening. Yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of people want to pretend it's not happening. Hundred percent. I think there are still some diehards who genuinely believe that COVID was this awful killer virus, and governments they thought on the nasty virus, and they had to do what they did. And then there's a lot of people who, who realize that that is not the case, but they really don't want to acknowledge what's actually going on because, you know, quite frankly, it is terrifying. Yeah, it is terrifying. Uh, a lot of the time, if you're not really up to to taking in the truth, it probably is better to have your eyes closed and just. Yeah, let it hit you later on in life, um, rather than being us <laughs> who have yeah. been living and yeah, breathing well, this for the I last. Yeah, well, I I've got kids. I've got kids. I'm not yeah. putting this. No, 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 no. It's better to be prepared. Yeah. So, yep. Um, I've got another video, and I will play that now. Let me just share my screen. Another step towards a cashless society. A big bank has confirmed customers in some locations can no longer withdraw money over the counter as branches continue to wind back services. It's up there with the pub with no beer, the bank with no cash. ANZ has confirmed some branches no longer handle cash at the counter. Others are directing customers to smart ATMs for cash transactions. ANZ says only 8% of its customers rely solely on branches. NAB says for its customers, it's only 3%. The number of bank branches nationally dropped 30% in major cities over five years, from more than 3,000 to around 2,300. It's um, closed down uh, oh, about 12 months ago, so I've got to come down to South Melbourne. And uh, if that closes down, I don't know where I've got to go, so for checks and everything else. It's a worldwide trend, and there are concerns it hurts disadvantaged customers the most. Senior citizens, new migrants, people who are disabled, they do need, if you like, face-to-face help. There's a danger here of excluding some elements of our society when we talk about inclusion all the time. The latest figures on ATMs shows the number of machines has more than halved from almost 14,000 back in 2017 to around 6,000 in the middle of last year. I would point out to people that cash is still very important, both as a means of payment, because if you're paying by cash, you don't get surcharged. Emma O'Sullivan, 7 News. Okay, so I'm not really 
sure. I mean, obviously, this is one further step taking us to a cashless society, making it increasingly harder to to pay for things with cash, especially with the the, the worry. most worrying thing there is about the ATMs being halved. Um, for me, the the whole for me, this is me personally. I think obviously banks are businesses, and they want to cut costs as much as they can because they've got shareholders to look after. Um, I've seen it happen, you know, going, I, I run a business that is partly cash now where it used to be probably 30, 40%. Now we're down to probably about five to 10% at yeah. the absolute maximum. So I still have to go to the bank to cash money. And when I do go there, I see senior citizens. Yes. Um, and I got into a conversation with the lady one day because the, the line, I mean, you've literally got one teller on now. So it takes, it takes about an hour to just see to go and put your money in the bank in the first place. Crazy. It's an hour out of out of your day. Is this- oh, it is. And like these, some of these senior citizens, the, the lady I was speaking to, she goes, I said, oh, I said to her, you know, well, why do you, why do you line up? She said, oh, I don't have a card. I've never had a, I've never had a card. I just don't trust the, I don't yeah. know how to use them and I don't, I don't trust the uh, technology. And I said, well, fair enough. My my mum is 91. She doesn't have internet banking. She doesn't have a mobile phone, so she can't have a mobile phone, you know, banking app. Um, she she gets freaked out by ATMs, so she is very reliant on being able to go to the bank and get cash out over the counter. Look, aside from the technological aspects of it, my mum has been banking um, with the same bank, you know, at the same branch. The bank staff know her. Uh, people underestimate just how important it is to to elderly, isolated people to have you know human connections, even if it's just the bank teller saying, "Oh, hello, Mrs. So and So. You know, haven't seen you." for a while how's your whatever the heck right um so there's the there's the practicalities of this yes you know people like my mum can't use an atm and and then there's the there's the fact that we're just getting um railroaded into having fewer and fewer human to human transactions so yeah. you know, I'm I'm just concerned on on every front with this, but yes, I mean, so fundamentally, okay, why does why does my mom get cash out from the bank? Because her neighbor over the road mows her lawn for her, and she pays him in cash. Now, if my mom isn't able to access a bank to get cash out to pay her neighbor, then how is she going? You know, uh, she she. She could pay him by bank transfer, but then she can't because she doesn't have access to internet banking. I could do that for her, but that means that her neighbour, who is also on a pension, loses this little source of income, 20 bucks every couple of weeks, that helps her top up his his income. If if she can no longer pay him in cash, then now the government can keep tabs on where my mother's money is going, and it's going to, to this fella, right, who isn't declaring his income. So... What what ends up happening is that the government has access to all of your transaction information, and frankly, it is none of their business. Now, at this point, it's pretty easy. I mean, uh, mostly mostly what we have now is we have commercial organisations, credit card companies, for instance, that are collecting extremely detailed data on their customers' spending habits. The where, where we where we know this is going, of course is central bank digital currency. And mm. then government has instant access to every financial transaction that you want to engage in. Not just do they have access to it, they can shut it down if your 
you know, on their naughty list or you're engaging in a transaction that they don't like. Now, is this a conspiracy theory? Well, it's a conspiracy fact because Augustine Carstens, the uh, the, the head of the um, International Bank of, of, of um, International Bank of Settlements, isn't Settlements, it, in yeah. Basel? Yeah. So he, you know, there's a video that's done the rounds on the web. You can find it in which he says, you know, the problem with a $100 note or a 1,000 peso note is we don't know who's spending it. But if we have central bank digital currency, uh, we can know exactly who's spending it and we can actually um, control transactions. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. Yeah. Well, uh, like last time we spoke, we spoke about Christine Lagarde, who's let the cat out of the bag and said that uh, CBDCs will be coming in in about September of this year. Yep. So the US is is Fed Bank. Um, They're already, so they're already on this. Fed Now, sorry. Fed Fed Now. now. That's not quite a CBDC, the Fed Now. But it's it's very very close to it, um, and I mean e- even in the the in Europe right now, I think it's illegal to spend more than two thousand dollars in cash. Yep. So yep. and if you do, you face a prison sentence. Um, this is just it's destroying the cash economy. And you're right, like uh, these these cash purchases now. It's I mean I, I do I do wonder where the banks come into it because is it in their interest to have a CBDC? So th- this this was a curious thing to me. Like, won't this put the banks out of out of um, out of business? But no, they're actually being promised that they they will play kind of like a middleman role in central bank digital currencies. So so you know, for instance, they will operate some of the technology. Um, so in other words, the retail banks will will still be playing a role. They they won't be put out of business by yeah. this, but their well- role will absolutely different from what it is now do you think maybe they're being held over a barrel at the moment you know with the whole silicon valley bank thing you know basically it's like you know this is what happens in the traditional banking system we know you've only got 10 percent of the money so you can face a bank run anytime so it's in your interest to come aboard the cbdc train you won't have these problems in the future if you just come along with the the plan yeah yeah, I have no doubt whatsoever. But I do find it interesting that there is some pushback to the idea of central bank digital currencies um, that we've seen, especially in some of the major US banks. I, If I recall correctly, you know, Tom Luongo, who I know we we both, you know, pay some heed to, has mentioned that Jamie Dimon, um, who's CEO of JP Morgan, he's not keen at all on the idea of CD- CBDCs because he sees that as essentially, you know, squeezing JP Morgan um, out of a, the lines share of its business so you know watch this space i don't think it's going to be a lay down the zair in terms of the imposition of a, of a cbdc i think a lot of banks are um not going to be happy a lot of retail banks I, I mean are not going to be happy with their position in the new banking world order yeah i've, I've have heard the same thing about the fed chairman uh, what's his name again um not your own pal yeah Jerome Powell. he's apparently he's very traditional guy and recently when he was on um being grilled by congress about like you know if you do this if you keep raising rates it's going to be harder for the government to spend money and he just basically said that's not that's not my problem it's not my job to worry about the government it's my job to worry about the economy so he's in thought it was the government's job to worry about the economy (laughs) (laughs) apparently not (laughs) I, i wouldn't be surprised if he's against it as well it's going to be a bit of a fight and i mean i think in in the scene we're in with, and I always see it, so all these black-pilled people online just assuming that we're going to go into this this mm. state of 
you know, complete government control. And it's, I just don't think it's true. We can't, we can't let ourselves get into that state of mind where we just think it's all over because it's not, if we, if we, if we feel like it is and enough people feel like it is, it's going to be over, but mm. we still have the chance of fighting back. I mean, look at Nigeria at the moment. Is it Nigeria? They've made that, yes. they've caught into yeah. bloody riots <laughs> over it. Go back digital currency here. Yeah. No, yeah. thanks. So, number one, <laughs> not signing up for it. Number two, the, the few who signed up for it, not using it. The Nigerian government cancels, you know, large denomination banknotes and the Nigerians basically have a riot. So, yeah, <laughs> try again, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> yep, well, we can always rely on the Africans to be the... Uh... The opposing force to pretty much everything that the new world well, order throws at them at the moment. Yeah, like they came through in COVID, didn't they? They were the inspiration for the world. You, you can, you know, you, you can take your vaccines, white folks, but we're yeah. not. We're just taking they... our, our hydroxychloroquine. We're doing just fine. They just stopped talking about them in the end. They just—it was almost like Africa didn't exist during the whole thing. They're like, oh, let's just <laughs> not. So it's, it's it's inconvenient. Oh, South Africa was the only place. We need vaccine equity. Send more vaccines to the, you know, to to, to the black people. Like, yeah, actually, the black people don't want it. Yeah. So. <laughs> don't send us that shit. Remember what you did last time to us. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. <laughs> we, we have many reasons to be suspicious of you, of you white folk. <laughs> no good on them. All right. So we're going, going to go into our last story of the day now. So we have Trump, RFK, and the QAnon shaman. So this has been a really interesting um, turn of events over here, and I'm not sure how much is just, you know, distractions. The whole Trump thing is really quite sort of interesting and suspicious at the same time. But I, I have I have serious doubts about Trump. I I really do, and and so I, I don't know what to make of this. What's what's your take on the whole Trump indictment thing? Um. Oh. Look, I believe that Trump sees this as an amazing opportunity to promote himself. It's not going to go anywhere. And even if it does, he might what get six months in jail or something like that, which he will probably do quite well, come out on top, an absolute cult hero and be elected in a landslide. Apparently, so, he's actually selling um, T-shirts with a mugshot of him as a, as a campaign fundraiser. Oh, he yeah. he will love it. I wouldn't be surprised if he put the bloody judge up to it. To be honest, the the sorry the the prosecutor up to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is it. Like this is how deep my suspicions go. I mean, I I don't think that anyone gets to be president of the United States without the imprimatur of the deep state. Okay, yeah. so I don't think anyone gets to be elected. Anyone gets to be nominated by by you know either the the Dems or the Republicans, um, and they sure as hell don't get to be president unless the deep state has basically authorized them. Now, yeah. whether whether that authorization of Trump was was done with his knowledge and buy in, or whether the deep state just said, "Hey, this is a really great way." Um, to to ferment civil war mark two right like let's let's get the reds and the blues at each other's throats what will do it i know donald trump because the democrat voters are all suffering from you know trump derangement syndrome and and the more deranged they become the more welded to him the more rusted on his support base gets yeah. um, so what a perfect way to to completely divide the US now, and and that would work regardless of whether Trump was on board with that or, or whether whether you know they just um, allowed him to become president so that he could serve that role. And and I don't, I mean, 
what the hell would I know? This is just my observations as an outsider that, that, that Trump is the is the perfect divisive figure. Yeah, I, I think exactly that. Like, look, at the start of the, you know, when was it, 2016 he got elected? Mm, yep. I was very much in favour of him being, him being elected just because I had such, I just despised Hillary Clinton. Um, <laughs> and I think she is just, yeah, she's one of the most, dis, you know, easily dislikable people in the world. But Trump, I've always thought was a dickhead. But I thought at least he's going to have the ball to do some of the stuff. He came mm-hmm. out with the, you know, the stuff. It was basically like Obama, hope and change, blah, blah, blah. And he, he said, we're going to drain the swamp. He ended up filling the bloody swamp. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's, did, he's done. He did, he did a few good things, I have to say. Um, but he did many bad things. He he yep. was the one that sort of forwarded the the vaccine. Um, and Totally. You know, bomb, bombing Syria, um, the yeah. assassin. Of, of, of Soleimani, you know, uh, sure he didn't start any new wars, so there's that. But but um, that doesn't mean that that his foreign policy was was dovish. And of course, he initiated, uh, you know, he was poking at China from from the get go, essentially declaring a trade war on China. Um, yes. Yeah. So so look, many many Americans say the economy was better under Trump. I strongly suspect that that that, that was um, illusory because the American economy is 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 just pixie dust. You know, it, it's there, there's no real economy in the US. It, it, it's no. all. It, just like you know, my, um, um, a money printing machine go burr. So yeah, he was very good at selling weapons. Trump. Yeah, he, he sold many weapons to Saudi Arabia. He sold lots to South Korea, Japan. He was really good at sort of getting those tensions up with North Korea, and that was to sell weapons. Like to, oh, you know, there's, there's yeah. two things that make uh, America go, um, you know, round and round, and that is weapon sales and the fact that they've got the reserve currency yeah yeah and without that they do not have the power losing yeah yeah so so trump's indictment i mean this this alvin bragg is as suspicious as 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 hell of course he's funded by soros money and no amount of of you know hair splitting around around soros funding is is going to change that i mean is this just another stunt to to increase the divisiveness among americans could be um it's certainly not going to stop trump from from running for for office and from what i've heard of the the charges there's really zero chance of getting a conviction and um what what it has done of course is to is to open the door for indicting previous um presidents and my god clinton had better be watching himself because (laughs) the offenses you know the the criminal activities of bill clinton are truly legendary (laughs) Oh yeah, massive amounts of criminal activity, and I mean, there's a, the incumbent right now, Joe Biden. I've just heard oh, today that the Jesus. they've indicted. Um, sorry, they've 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 gotten. Um, I think it was like five or seven banks to give them records about all their transactions because they're they're starting to really investigate Hunter Biden and the Biden family with this. Oh, these, the Biden in China and Ukraine and. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's nuts. So yes, I mean this could well turn out to be a, a weapon that sort of backfires on the people who are attempting to to wield it. But um, yeah. yes, and then in the midst of this, we we have uh, we have RFK Junior stepping up to the uh, uh, to the podium and saying, "I'm going to run for president." And all I can say yeah. is, well, "I hope you've got better security than your dad and your uncle did, because uh, it didn't work out so well for them." 
Yeah, and like, I mean, RFK, I'm not sure how good a chance he stands of getting a, a, a nomination for the for the Democrats, but yeah. it, it might come as a surprise to a lot of people that he is a Democrat because, I mean, one thing that's really been successful in the MSM sort of propaganda in the last little while is that anybody who's opposed to the vaccine is right-winger. And he's quite, quite clearly not a right-winger. He is a, he's been left-wing. He's been... Democrats, I mean, you know, his 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 family is just so embedded in Democrat politics from generations back. But isn't isn't it funny? So if if you if you're um if you're opposed to you know massive mega corporations um infiltrating government uh exerting you know agency capture and forcing their products onto the population, you're a a right winger. Right. Okay. <laughs> anti-war and anti-big corporations, you're right winger. Yeah, 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 but, then, yeah. but then go back, go back 15 years and you're left winger. So, yeah, it's so mental. I, mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how anyone who isn't brain dead can can sort of put those things together and say, yeah, that makes sense. I don't think people know what it means. Really, they just they no. just hear the words and they repeat them. They're just buzzwords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so the the one thing I would say about uh, his campaign, so he's 69 years old at the moment, uh, and he's going to challenge President Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination. But one thing I will say is Rasmussen, I'm not sure if you saw the this the other day, they did a poll about how many people, and this was across Democrats, Republicans, and Independents. Mm. It came back pretty even that 10% of the population felt like that someone had they knew had died from COVID. Ten percent yeah. of the ten percent of the population actually felt like someone had died from the vaccine as well. Yeah, and, and definitely Republicans were about even. I think there was like one percent different, two percent difference or something between the the percentage of Dems who thought they knew someone who'd been killed by the jab and and Republicans who thought the same. It wasn't a big gap. At no, all. it wasn't a big gap at all. So this is what makes me think that someone like this, who is very rooted in scientific fact he does not get into conspiracy theories not that i've seen anyway not at all he's he, a lawyer he's a lawyer yeah, yeah he's very he's very um careful in how he states things he never opens his mouth or puts anything in print unless he's got a source that that he can cite either you know in an article or or he can refer to you know he can like Go look this up. Yeah, I don't open my mouth unless I verify unless I can verify what I have to say. So Definitely. he's very careful. I also respect him because he's open to you know changing his position on things. I mean, I'm really impressed that he's he's taken on um, Jonathan Cooey, who I mentioned before, as, as in a consultant role for Children's Health Defence because um, Kennedy has been a uh, vocal proponent of the lab leak hypothesis, and and Jonathan Cooey is saying, yeah, actually, it's not that. And so that's pretty ballsy of Kennedy to say, all right, I'm listening. You know, let me take you on as a scientific advisor because um, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not sort of married to this position on lab leak. If someone can present me with evidence that would cause me to, to uh, if someone can present me with evidence um, compelling enough to cause me to, to drop this, then I will. Yeah, I will. Yeah, yeah gutsy. Um, so Bobby Kennedy. I mean, I do see his his uh, laryngeal uh, laryngeal spasm. His his vocal difficulty as being a serious impediment, because so much of of American presidential whatevers is debates and and so forth. Um, and a lot of people, uh, 
because the the lamestream media has not given him any airtime a lot of a lot of people have not heard him speak and so as soon as he opens his mouth and he's got this croaky voice that's that's going to you know unfortunately put people off um who aren't familiar with this platform the idea that the democrats would actually give him the presidential nomination like pigs might fly um but anyway, that's the party that, that he's going to run for, and he will at least um, force the Democrats to put up someone credible against him. Yes. Yeah. Um, actually, yes. That, that you know, um, they uh, someone in an email group that I belong to proposed a a a Trump DeSantis ticket against a Kennedy Tulsi Gabbard ticket. Like, oh my God, that there would be fireworks. But of course, Trump and DeSantis won't. Yeah, they, 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 there's no way DeSantis is going to go, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll be your vice president. Uh-uh, not going to happen. No, no, they're, they're too, they're just buttheads the whole time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, DeSantis, um, he's, he, some of his foreign policy, um, uh, positions make me concerned. Although, although, you know, I'll, Again, credit where credit is due. He certainly backed away from support for Ukraine, uh, support support for war. Um, you know, support for sending more more American resources to Ukraine. So, there's that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he he would make a better president than than Trump, but that's kind of a low bar. <laughs> it's a very low bar. It's just, it's just such a shame that it seems to be that we're going to be facing another Biden versus Trump, uh, you know, election again. Oh, it's my. just it's just it's do you think? Do you think they'll run? I don't. I don't reckon the Dems can run Biden, though. I mean, he's so deeply unpopular. But then, who the hell else are they going to put up? You know, the the the, the laughing hyena. For oh, God's God. sake! Tell you what, why did why did why did they nominate Corinne Jean Pierre? Be <laughs> <laughs> hysterical. Can you imagine great her? To, great to see her stammering through the. Uh, can you imagine Mopsy in, in presidential debates? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it would be it would be shocking it really would be but i mean what who else have they got really they don't have anybody else that's that's a good question who yeah. else have they got who else have they got i mean yeah it's it's um tulsi gabbard of course is is she's not going right, to unless unless the entire party gets gets you know turned upside down and shaken out there's no way she's going to reassociate with them um yeah kamala harris who the hell would vote for her? You know, except people who like yellow school buses and Ben <laughs> diagrams. Oh, woman is such a twit. Um, so so I I don't know who, so Nan- who Nancy Pelosi could go for it. I don't know she's probably keen on. <laughs> oh my god! Can you imagine? Imagine the insider trading she'd be able to accomplish um, with the presidency. Maybe Paul's hammer buddy, you know, from the crack house in Berkeley. Maybe they could nominate him instead. He'd probably still be a better, you know, um, candidate than both Trump and Biden at this point in time. Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> but this wouldn't be. Uh, we can't finish this off without, um, you know, go, going back to the Trump indictment. It's mm. just absolute rubbish. And this last week, you've seen how garbage. The stories we've been hearing, we've all known about the January 6th. It has, was not this attack on the Capitol yeah. and this poor guy, Jacob Chansley, who's just sucked into the QAnon nonsense, yeah. has, has been shown on video to be being escorted through the building. It seems like a seems like a perfectly nice fella who just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And now he there's video out. 
in a chamber and 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 does a little prayer and ceremony saying thanks to the Capitol Hill police and like everyone respect the police and all of this. Yeah, and he's been in 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 the slammer in solitary confinement for what? How many like 14 months? Oh, quite a long time, yeah. So, yeah, I'd say at least a year, but he's been released 14 months early now yeah. and yep. it's because of the footage that come out. Because they can't, so, they can't keep him anymore. Yeah, this is interesting. His lawyer said, "Oh no, it wasn't. It wasn't because of that. Um, this this was always in on on the cards. Like this was his sentence, but but you know, we. Uh, I, I'm 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 guessing there was like a non-parole period, and he served that. This is what his lawyer said. But gee, you know, the the timing is is very coincidental. Tucker Carlson plays the footage of him being escorted by the police around the Capitol. And then suddenly, in a week or so, he's he's out of prison. I mean, I it's, I don't yeah. I don't see how that's coincidence. In uh, any case, he should be suing the, the 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 bejesus out of everyone involved in putting him away. Definitely, and watch this space because possibly maybe he will. But um, I he does I hope he does? And yeah. If he doesn't have the money for it, I mean, all the guy would have to do is 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 start a um you know, a, a, a crowdfunding campaign and he would have all the money he needed for that legal challenge in about five seconds because people who have seen how that guy behaved and how he was treated, like you can't unsee that. You can't, unless unless you're, again, one of these kind of rusted-on Democrat believers, cult members, quite frankly, I said, because, you know, because I have heard a, a, a few people talking about how they still they still believe that January 6th was an insurrection, you know, by unarmed people, and that Jacob Chansley was this was this incredibly dangerous person. I'm 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 sorry. If you still believe that at this point, you're mentally defective. And again, you can't be helped. Yeah, yeah. It was the the worst attack on America since 9-11, apparently. Yeah. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? And 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 who who actually died that day? Ashley Babbitt, an unarmed woman. You know, shot by a uh, a member of the Capitol Hill police who who has never been. You know, I, I think he got suspended with pay for like a couple of days, investigated, and said, "Oh, you didn't do anything wrong." He pulled his gun on an unarmed woman with a whole lot of people around her and behind her. I mean, totally just just beyond disgusting. Um, yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. The last thing you. Yeah. Yeah. Look. Let's hope um, America comes to its senses, but in the end, mm. it's my opinion that we are seeing the death of the world's greatest superpower and mm. is transitioning into something else. Uh, it's not, I don't think it's all engineered to be the way it is. I think it's just the fact that America's gone completely insane. They're dying and they know it, and it's the last death throes of that once great nation. Um, but, yeah, yeah. I, I I would not call it an entirely natural death, though. I mean, there has been um, significant infiltration, you know, like like a slow drip poisoning of the US, and and what what has made it unique. And you know, full comp- confession: when I was when I was a teenager, when I was in high school, and and you know, fairly left wing in my in my approach to everything, having grown up in a in a sort of you know 
rusted on labor labor voting family um i saw america as the great satan you know the the cause of everything that's wrong in the world and the last three years have really really changed my 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 view on this and the american experiment is is really unique in in human history and what what did make america great was number one just how freaking learned those founding fathers were i mean it is just extraordinary that people with a you know the equivalent of our year eight year nine education were so incredibly widely read in all manner of philosophical works and they saw all sorts of um issues and and not just dangers, but but um, I mean, realized dangers in the constitutions or and and the systems of government of you know the of, of um, um, Britain and Europe and they, that that American experiment of sort of you know crafting a constitution that protected the rights of the people that actually really put the people above government in a very real sense that that was completely unique in human history. Yeah. And it's and 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 because it was so unique, it has been a threat to the um, pretensions to power of all the you know they them those the the powers that shouldn't be the the money power the the bankers the monopolists the predator class or whatever you want to call them. Well, ever you have a country that is really founded on this notion of individual liberty that you have the right to do whatever you choose as long as you don't infringe on other people's rights like that that can't be allowed to stand um yep. in, in the view of they them those so yeah um that's not to say that if america falls we'll never have liberty again but it's certainly one of those um it, it really has been the beacon of light for for anyone who who believes in human liberty and uh i i do uh strongly believe that we are entering if we have not already entered into a new dark age but you know, um, the dark ages weren't as people thought they were. There was still development of, like, preservation of knowledge and development of knowledge. And you know, every every civilization um, um, has its end times. We're in them now, but that doesn't mean that it's all over for the human species. And and I think it's like it's really important for for us to um, uh, to to very consciously preserve what what is uh, to, to to preserve knowledge. Um, to preserve these philosophical traditions and to inculcate our children with them because, you know, free humanity will rise again no matter what happens. Definitely. And like, it, you know, just to finish off, um, life is fractal. Everything in, everything in it is, you know, and if you look at your personal life, you know, we all go through good times, bad times. And every time we have a bad time, you know, when you're in a good time, you don't really change a lot, do you? But when you have a bad time, you generally get to the point, you know, if you're a smart person anyway, <laughs> you get to the point where you go, I can't continue on like this. I need to change something. It's the old bloody toad so, shit on the rear end, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if you look if you look at everything as in, in fractal nature and and then we are just at a point in time where the world needs to find a new path and we mm -hmm. need to build on what we've got, take the positive. And like you were saying, the American system I regard as the greatest system ever created. Especially and the that whole... doesn't mean it's perfect, and it no. can be upon, and that's our mission. But nothing is perfect, and that's the trap we need we need to not fall into as society is thinking that we're going to have some sort of utopia because it's never going to happen. No, we need to just go. What's gonna What's gonna be the best um, system at the moment? I, I do believe that democratic republic system they have in the United States is the best because you see, you have states such as Texas and Florida 
um, and South was Dakota. it North North Dakota or yeah. South Dakota? I can't remember. South Dakota. South Dakota. Yeah. That Who, Chris Nome, top yeah. shit. She never shut down. She was like, okay, I trust you all to not be idiots, so just go about your lives and take precautions as you see fit. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not here to impose any restrictions on you. Yeah, amazing. Not talked about enough, Christy. No, yeah, she's no, all... no. So people don't talk about it because it, it, you know, obviously it didn't affect them there. So, um, <laughs> the but the whole point is like you can have these separate states, and pe- if people don't like something that's going in one state, they can move to another state. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you've seen that mass exodus from California to you know to Texas and Tennessee and Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. So it, you know, in closing, I don't really think the the presidential um, candidate is as important as we put uh, the emphasis on. I mean, it, geopolitical, geopolitically they are, but in the nation's sense, it's not that important because in the end, state really trumps federal over there uh, in most cases. And um, yeah, people need to, if they don't know that, need to research it. And if they haven't figured it out, then they probably never will. But yeah. Mm. Agree. Yeah. Amen to that, brother. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, um, we'll finish up for the day. But thanks again for joining me. And yeah, we'll probably see you again either next week or the week after. Looking forward to it. All right. (laughs) Me too. Have a good one. You too.